we're going to talk about God's call on our lives, his specific, unique, one-of-a-kind call on each of us. Uh, a large part of that is our vocation, our career, our job, but that's not all that it is. And so I've invited a few uh, folks here at Journey, and we're just going to ask them a few questions about that. So um, I do want to, to join them and do that. So um, how about you guys pass the microphone around, because not everyone knows everyone, and just say your name and what, what job you currently hold, so just to get them started. Okay. Um, so my name is Krista Zodi, and I am a clinical mental health counselor. My name is Barb Keys, and I'm an optometrist. My name is Aaron Hett, and I am an Army officer. Okay. All right. So I just have a few questions. Um, so how did you discern, and, and a job is not all of your calling, it's a little bigger than that, but um, how it's a big part of it because we spend... 40, 60, sometimes 70 hours a week on our jobs. Um, so I'm just curious, how did you discern your calling or contribution to the world and God's kingdom? How did you kind of figure out what direction to go? Yeah, so first of all, I, was not, I didn't grow up a believer. I, Jesus found me in college. So then working through that, coupled with what I was naturally good at. Um, if you've talked to me before, I'm naturally a people person, right? So to put it in perspective, we've moved a lot recently, and I've changed jobs just about every single year everywhere we go. Um, but they're, like Pastor Derek was saying, my primary vocation is to serve Jesus, right? So I firmly believe that God is in the business of people, which means I'm in the business of people. So everywhere I go, regardless of what I'm doing, it's to, to be around those people. And maybe hold the microphone a little closer to your, so they can hear, just making sure. So you're Sorry. good. That's, that's all right. I think, they, I think they caught most of that. Go for it. Um, God has always given me a servant heart. I waited tables as soon as I was old enough. I bartended through college. Um, it wasn't until I was an optometrist and a patient actually asked me, you know, how did you decide to be an optometrist? I said, well, I didn't want to go to college. Didn't want to go to four years of college. So I uh, went to look at a two-year school. My mom and I were touring the school, and she was an x-ray technician. So I specifically went to look at the x-ray program. So talking about the classes you had to take, math was a big part of that. And I said, oh, I don't like math. What else do you have? They had uh, optometric tech, surgical tech, and dental tech. I said, I don't like blood. So let's sign up for the optometric tech program. <laughs> and the, first, the end of the first year, we went out into uh, different practices. And one of the female optometrists there said, you know, if you just went to school a little bit longer, instead of adjusting glasses, you could write the prescription. And so that's what I did. And I always, you know, I, I always said, well, it's just a fluke how I got to where I am until I realized it was a God thing. Well, for me, um, I feel like God's designed me as a people person and wanting to do community outreach. Um, that's always been my heart since I was a kid. And when I had the opportunity to kind of engage with that in high school, I started to do that. Um, I volunteered for a long time after uh, working with youth ministries. And over the years, 
my heart really started to change, and I think that comes when we go in these different seasons of life. Um, so I had done my bachelor's, fast forward. My heart had always had a calling to be a mom, and so I did that, and I had the opportunity. I have two little girls. Um, so my heart is definitely there to serve with community, with people, to give to my children. And then fast forward, there was transition happening in my own life, and there was a lot of trauma and grief that I went through, um, which then lead me, or led me to this opportunity to pursue um, counseling. And so God just opened that door up, and I think leading up into that was a lot of reflection of who did God create me to be? You know, what are these things that make me who I am? Some that I already knew, some that I was like, why am I like this? But really God had designed me this way, right? Um, empathetic and listening and caring and outreach and energy and um, that just kind of all accumulated into counseling. And God opened all the doors and so mother community and counseling. Okay. Um, and then you've touched on this, but how has your calling changed over the years? I don't think it's static as time goes on. Hmm. Mm, well, I mean, I guess I would kind of echo what I said just a little bit. So it's really changed with different seasons in my life. And so um, I was a military wife for a really long time, and my heart was really there in the military community, and my heart is still there. And so that was the season of my life. And my children, <laughs> I don't think that season of life is ever going to end, right? Um, so, so that, and then, um, and then as things had changed, you know, kind of led me to my career path right now. And I'm really excited to see what the next season brings too, right? Um, this last month, um, it's been 34 years since I started practicing optometry. And the practice has grown. We have um, a new partner. And so I've been able to cut back um, at my actual time at the office, which, of course, opens up other doors. And I just think it's interesting how God puts people in your life, takes people out of your life, but sends you somewhere. So for me, I volunteered at the food pantry. You know, I have all these extra days, and literally I thought, okay, you're working three, what are you going to do four days a week? I, I'm not a, a human do, uh, I'm not a human being, I'm a human doing. I'm one of those people. And so the food pantry has just opened up another area to be able to help people and meet people that I never would have known. This is better. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. I so, could hear you before. I was just trying to make sure they could. Good. Um, so I have been following the Lord Jesus for about nine years now. Um, to put that in perspective, and it's looked different almost the entire time, right, and what God's used me for. So in college, I led formalized ministry for ROTC cadets, and God blessed us with growing the program from about five to ten people to 40 people coming weekly and people getting to know Jesus better. Um, which was awesome, right? And then as I transitioned into the Army, um, what time is allotted to doing things is a lot different too, right? So in some seasons you're in training and you're gone, like for the first eight months of my son's life, right? I was like gone from Monday through Friday, like three o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock at night on Friday. 
So that was different, right? It was a lot of stuff in the field. And then I've transitioned to other jobs where formalized ministry was a good thing. But the, the overarching theme was that everywhere I went, I knew that God was going to put coincidences. I call them God-sidences, um, not really coincidences, to where you walk into, and as long as you're faithful to be a vessel for him, that he will use you. And then being able to see that um, is awesome. You know, two months ago, I went to a training exercise. I was able to preach the gospel four or five times while we're out there for a month. It's awesome. It's just if you're willing to open up to see where God's called you to be able to speak into the lives of those around you. Okay. And my final question is, what is God preparing you to do next? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a hard question. So for anybody who struggles with calling, uh, this guy, okay, sometimes, right, knowing where you need to go. Um, in this season of life, I believe that God's calling me to finish my Master's in Divinity, um, which is doing my normal job and then doing that at night. And night classes, for anybody who's done them, is not exactly the most fun, right? Especially when you have three little kids at home. So that's what it is. Um, I have no idea, <laughs> and I would like <laughs> that specific answer, but I know I can't expect that. But I'm not fearful. So what, whatever he wants, that's what I'm willing to do. Um, so I, I don't know the future, <laughs> right? So I don't know exactly there. Um, but what I do know is God's always speaking to us, right? And so really taking a look at the conditioning of our own heart to see where we're at, um, to make sure that we can hear his voice. I think sometimes just the mess of life or if it's chaotic or whatever is coming up, sometimes we can, um, his voice can sound very far away. So making sure that um, we're plugging in and being intentional um, so I know motherhood will be a part of my future, um, and I'm continuing on with trauma trainings. Um, that's always been my heart, and I'm really open to see what else God has. Okay. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. All right. I would encourage you to pull out the outline if you grabbed a bulletin. There is um, a couple exercises in there that could be helpful later that you might do that I'm just going to kind of mention and plant a seed. And then also there is one visual aid that is this goofy little hand-drawn thing that I did from a book. And so I want you to be able to see that when I get to that point. So let's pray and we'll get into uh, what I want to talk about today. Dear God, I thank you for each of these three that are on this journey of answering your call on their lives. And I just pray for your guidance, for your wisdom, for them, and for each of us. Uh, Lord, at times it feels like we, we don't know the next step, but other times you open a door wide open. And so we are grateful for those moments of clarity. We do ask for your leading. We do ask for your guidance. We do want to be people who have an impact who make a difference in this world and point people to your son and the freedom and the joy that is found in him. Lord, this is our prayer, and we ask our blessing on this time together in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love what one author said. He said, most of us find ourselves in the death grip of the non-essential. So many things in our lives can 
pull us off, you know, the trivial, the things that we just have to do. And it can be frustrating. I mean, what I'm really hoping to do this morning is get you thinking about this divine sweet spot that you have, that God is calling you to. You know, if you've ever played tennis, if you, if you hit the tennis ball just right, there's a kind of a sweet spot in the middle of that racket, and it, it just has more power. And I want you to live in such a way, I want to live in such a way that we maximize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we have the greatest impact possible. I think the big key question is, what is God's dream for your life? What is God's dream for your life? Have you thought about that? What does that look like? And it doesn't matter if you're 20 years old or 70 years old. If you're here still, God has a dream for your life for this next season, whatever that looks like. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and you may go, really, this is one of your favorite? But I love this because I think it's such a great statement and something for us to think about and shoot for. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, it gives a summary of King David, who did not live a perfect life by any stretch, but it says this, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And it goes on how he's buried and, and died, but I want you to think about that. Had served God's purpose in his own generation. That is an amazing tribute to David. Serve God's purpose. You know, I was reading a, a survey, and it said only one in five young people, and the classification there is 12 years old to 22, express a clear vision of where they want to go, what they want to accomplish with their life, and why. And about a quarter of young people in the same particular survey have no aspirations at all. When, when nudged and pushed, they're like, I got nothing, I don't know. And so it's really important because that sense of purpose, that sense of divine call on a life, it, it's like a rudder on a ship. It steers us in the right direction. And the main passage this morning, it's not a long one, is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's one I come back to a lot in my own thinking. And in teaching and preaching, I think about this verse a lot. For we are God's handiwork, or masterpiece. Some say you could even translate this poem. You know, his expression of his creative energy that he has done. What he has done through the power of his word. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you look at this verse in context, there was a section right before it about reminding us that our salvation is by grace. It's not that we do a bunch of good works and God goes, oh, you earned this. I'm going to give you this salvation. I'm going to let you in because you earned it. No, it's a gift of God's grace. It's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And yet, works have a place. Good deeds have a place. We're called to it. We are saved by grace, but works, doing good, serving our fellow man, serving other people, flows out of us in a response to that incredible offer of salvation. God has a blueprint for every life. Viktor Frankl once said this. He said, everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therefore, he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Thus, everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity 
to implement it. Every person in this room, in various ways, has mind-blowing potential. And it has been said, and I've always appreciated this, that our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with our lives is our gift to God. So this morning, I want to think about the question, how does a person discern their one-of-a-kind calling? How do you get and understand that special assignment for God? Now, if you think about this sweet spot that I think we're all called to, and it looks a little different for all of us. Now, there are general purposes. Make disciples. Glorify God. Uh, There are these general purposes, but it plays out differently in my life than in your life. How does it look for you? So I just want to give you some principles to help you discern this so that you can have a life that's more focused, a life that has more impact. It's not scattered and distracted. If you look, I think the first idea is the idea of prayer. And I get this, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. We're not a cosmic accident, as evolution would teach us. We are God's creation. And so it would make sense to go to the creator to define our purpose, to understand our assignment. And so prayer is the most direct way we can do that. Now, we can look to the Bible, obviously, but as far as specific, one-of-a-kind calling, you know, the Bible lays out the general purposes But whether I take this job or that job, whether I volunteer here or volunteer there, whether I expend my energy investing in this particular person or this neighbor or this friend or I choose to foster this particular child, those are decisions that have to be wrestled with through prayer. I'll never forget sitting in a tiny prayer chapel at Taylor University. I was about to graduate with a business degree. I'd already been visiting law schools, and I had my life mapped out for me. And Jesus got into that, and I'd been a Christian a long time. And in that little prayer chapel, because I would go there often, I liked to go to that particular place, I liked to have the opportunity, I had a couple roommates, and so it was one of the few places I could be alone. And I just felt very called to the ministry over and over again. I can't speak for the rest of you, but for me, often the call of God is something I don't want to do. I don't know if you've had that, but I've had that. You know, you read about a Jonah, I want you to go and speak to this group of people that you hate. He's like, no. And I'd grown up in the ministry, uh, a ministry home. My dad was a, a pastor, same church for over 42 years, and a church before that as well, a couple churches before that. And So I'd seen the good of ministry, but also seen the ugly part of ministry. I I wanted no part of that. But in that prayer chapel, I settled that issue. And I decided, okay, this is what you want me to do. And so I went into that, you know, role of preaching and teaching, went to school for that, went to seminary. And that came through prayer. I didn't come through pressure from other people. It came through prayer. Now, you might have received, in your prayer time, a call to the business world, a call to, um, to be a lawyer. That was my, that's where I was headed. You might be called to politics. We need people who are salt and light in every 
role in life. I don't know where your call is exactly, but I encourage you to just bathe those decisions in prayer. Because people, godly people who are sensitive to his leading, end up with very different ministries, very different roles. I always appreciate John the Baptist, who had this unique role. He was the forerunner. He was the one that kind of introduced Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to the Jewish nation. And so he's this radical guy. He's living out in the wilderness, and and he's calling people, and all these people are coming to him. And once Jesus arrives, he baptizes Jesus, and then John's crowds start to go down. And those who are close to John come to him and say, hey, your crowds, they're, they're shrinking. And they're concerned about this, like, John, you, you need to step up your game. This is not, you know, it's not working anymore. You're not the sensation that you were. And in essence, he looks at them and he says, you not understand my role, my job? I must decrease and Jesus must increase. See, John the Baptist understood his unique calling, which was to point people to Jesus Christ, to the Messiah. Not to draw a crowd, not to have some kind of movement with him as the primary teacher. And I think that's a powerful example because really, in a sense, we all embrace that. Our role is to, in a sense, decrease, to be people of humility and point our lives to pointing people to Jesus Christ. I think it's through prayer that you see Peter and Paul live out very different apostolic ministries. Peter primarily worked with and spoke to the Jews, to the Jewish nation. Now, he did go in and kind of break out the gospel to Cornelius and and kind of that first witness to the Gentile world. But then he primarily spent his time with the Jewish nation. Paul, on the other hand, was an apostle called very specifically to the Gentiles. And as they prayed and as they're led by the Spirit, they discerned those differences. So the first idea when you're trying to discern your calling is to pray. The second is to embrace your passion. I'm always fascinated. What motivates people to work where they work, volunteer where they volunteer, to give where they give? What motivates that? If you look at Ephesians 2.10, our text again, it says, For we are God's handiwork. We're created. And so God put that into us. I think he hardwired some of those passions. We're his work of art. We're his poem, some theologians say, that expresses the truth that he's trying to convey with our lives. You know, we have five children, and they're all growing up on us. You know, we still have the 13-year-old at home with us all the time. But they're all different. Their their passions, their drives, they're so different. It's fun to watch. It's part of the joy of parenting. And that's wired in them. I mean, you have one kid over here taking something apart, and you have another kid, you know, singing loudly, you have, I mean, they just have different passions that they're drawn to. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
And so it's a legitimate question to ask yourself, what kind of activities make me feel alive? And try to make your vocation, your job, line up with that. I mean, it's not always exactly possible, but as much as you can. I appreciate the, the fact that um, it's a quote from uh, Frederick Buchner, and he says this, and talks about God's calling on our lives. He said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger coincide. Where can you make a difference? Where can you help? But it lines up with your, the joy that you have. Now, I just told that I entered the ministry with great hesitation, but I love it. And so God knew me better than I knew myself. I think you'll find that with him if you'll trust him. I think it's interesting, when I do individual spiritual plans with people, one of the questions I'll ask people is, I'll ask them, what makes you angry? No? Yes? Yes. Okay. I feel like I'm that cell phone commercial. All right, so I like to ask what makes you angry because that is a side of your passion as well because it shows maybe you have a passion for justice. Maybe you have a passion for the marginalized. Maybe you have a passion uh, for, you know, whatever it is. And, and so I think that's a great question to ask. So you want to embrace your passion. What's the scripture that really grabs you? I know a lot of Christians who have like a life verse. It's a particular passage that, that they grab and they're like, that is my verse. I've never been a life verse guy. I've always been kind of scripture for a season. And for a few years, this particular scripture just grabs me. And then it's maybe a different one. But I think that there's, there's power in that. Embrace your passion. Because I, think, I think God wires that into us. And I think it, it helps us to fulfill those different roles. You know, you heard several different jobs there. I mean, there are jobs that, that I would like, and there are jobs that I would hate. I was chatting with the lady who does our taxes one time, and our taxes are complex. I'm considered self-employed. My wife owns her own business as a therapist, and so it's, it's kind of messy, kind of complex. Just gathering the stuff gives me stress. I hate gathering it all together. I take it to her, and she does it. I said, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate people like you who, who did this. And she said, I love to do people's taxes. And I thought, I would rather be beaten with a bat than <laughs> and professionally, day after day, do people's taxes. Aren't we glad that people have different passions? That they get excited about other things? I mean, it would be so boring if we all liked the exact same things. And so I appreciated an older man one time when I was a young guy told me, he said, find what you would enjoy doing for free and find a way to get paid for it. I think there's some valuable advice in that. I'll give you a little exercise in the sermon outline that you might want to think about. It's called a passion funnel. Um, some of what I've 
different ideas that I'm sharing with you today. I just want to make sure I give him some credit here. It's a book called Unique, and he kind of puts the word you with unique together by Will Mancini. And this is one of his suggestions, and I'll, I'll mention a couple others. But he has this, what he calls a passion funnel, and it's just trying to figure out what are you passionate about? What, where has God wired you and one is to list five things you're interested in. You just kind of write those down. Another is to list four things that you're excited about. So that's slightly different. This is actual excitement, not just interested. Three things you're driven by, that you're driven by. Think about that. That's a whole different level. And one or two things that you're burdened for. Maybe you have a heart for, for prisoners, I mean, we have our, our North Star ministry to the halfway house has started back up. And Dave, who's our worship leader, that's somebody you could talk to. If you have a, a burden for those who, you know, are prisoners, maybe you have a burden for the homeless. We have an amazing rescue mission here in Fairbanks. We have a lot of people who give time every week to our, our food pantry because they have a burden for those who are hungry. Maybe you have a burden for kids who don't know the Lord or you want to help kids grow in their, their faith in the Lord. Uh, we can always use people in children's ministry. These are things to think about. What's your passion funnel? Whether you're thinking your career or your volunteer opportunities, what does that look like? And he says this is a great exercise, and I've kind of done this, and I think it does help clarify where you spend your time. Another one I think is an interesting, I've not done this, but I think it'd be fun. It's, he calls it the Passion 360, so you might want to do this. You send a text message to four family members, four co-workers, and four friends, and you simply say, crazy question, what three things do you think I'm most passionate about? And see what they say. It's kind of a 360 looking at those around you, and what do they see as your passion? So if you're having some clarity issues about this, this could help you. Now, I do think you'll probably be surprised by at least somebody that they see something and you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And so it's important. And I think God, because we're a body and not everybody's a foot or a thumb or a side, or I think that we have different passions to do different parts of God's kingdom. Another exercise I think is interesting that um, comes from, it's called the One Purpose Person, Kevin McCarthy, and he says this. He says, you take the sentence, and this is in your notes, I exist to honor God and help others by, and it gives you a blank with an I-N-G, and then a second word, another word blank. You exist to honor God and help others by, let me give you some examples. Creating beauty. I think about my wife, and she has a real artistic gift. If you walk through our church, you can see that stamp of where, you know, this looks good, that looks good. Um, and so I think teaching truth might be something. I'm kind of drawn to that description. Someone might showing compassion you know, someone who wants to be a counselor or somebody who wants to come alongside the marginalized. What about worshiping enthusiastically? Those, those are just a couple ways, but think about that. Prayerfully look at that. I exist to honor God and help others by two words. What would you say? And this might help you understand your passion. It might help you with your next vocational work decision. 
The third idea, as we think about this, is to get honest about your abilities and spiritual gifts. I'm not going to make a huge distinction here between these two, but I think abilities, I'm just going to kind of talk about them together, but abilities, I tend to think that God, they're, they're born into you, you know, from the time you're born physically. Spiritual gifts, I think God gives you once you convert to Christ. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he gives you these spiritual gifts. So there's some differences there, but they tend to overlap and they tend to work together. And notice in Ephesians 2.10, back to our verse again, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice we're created by him. He gives us those talents, those gifts that we need, and that he calls us to certain works. And so he's going to give us the tools that we need. You know, he's a good heavenly father. If your dad came to you and said, hey, we're going to go do a job together, and he opens up a, a box or a toolbox, you can judge what job you're going to do together by what tools he brings, right? What tools he puts in your hands. I mean, if he hands you a saw, that's probably different than maybe a wrench. If he hands you, you know, so, so the tools that you're handed, the talents, the spiritual gifts that you're given, gives you a hint, a strong hint in the direction you're to go in your calling. And so I think this is important. I, I'm fascinated at how we're all so unique and we're so different. And yet I was reading this week, it says this, the difference of identity between any two people in the world is found in less than 1% of their DNA. I thought that was interesting. Think about all the differences in personality, in passions, in desires, and it says, goes down to that 1% of DNA. God makes us uniquely. He designs us. We are handcrafted. You are one of a kind. And he puts us in this body of Christ that has all these different roles, all these different body parts. And a thumb is not the same as a big toe. Now, it's so important that we acknowledge talents and spiritual gifts, because if we just focused on passion, you know, I could be passionate about something, but if I don't have the talents or the spiritual gift to do it, then I'm going to fail, and I'm going to be frustrated, and I'm going to waste a lot of time and effort. You see this on shows like America's Got Talent, or, you know, one of these, these different talent-type shows where no one in their life had the courage to say to them, you stink at singing. Nobody ever stepped up and said that to them. And so they get up on stage with a national audience and embarrass themselves. And so it's important to offer, it's important to allow people to give you feedback, and it's important to actually listen to feedback. Now, I do want to be careful here because some of the, I love writing and I love, you know, reading books and Almost every author has their story of being rejected by 20 publishers before they're finally published. And I mean, Max Lucado, who I think has sold 100 million books, was rejected over and over again with his first book. So you have to be careful, um, and you can't listen to everybody. But if there are, there are you know, godly people who love you, and they tell you you can't sing, which is what they would tell me if I tried to lead worship, you should listen to that. And so, 
it's important that we acknowledge that God gives us different talents. And not to have talent or gift envy. You might like, well, I'd like that gift. Or, well, if God wanted you to have it, he'd give it to you. But they do show up in seed form. And this is where you have to allow each other grace to grow in something. Um, it's, you don't get a, a talent or a gift necessarily like a full-grown tree. You get it in seed form, like an acorn. You, and you have to grow it and mature it. And so you have to have those opportunities. So just an action step, and I have this in your notes. If you go to our church website, which I give you there, there's a, a little section I tell you how to get there. If you've never taken a spiritual gifts assessment, I would encourage you to do that. That might be very helpful to you. And even if you've done it before, but you haven't done it in a few years, I'll take it every couple of years, and I'll see you know, certain things stay the same, but there can be some shifting. And it's a computerized test. It's not perfect, but I think it usually gets the top couple ones right, and the ones that you're like, oh, you don't have that gift. It usually gets that right. And so I would encourage you to do that if you haven't done that. See, with our gifts and our talents and our abilities, we can only do a few things with them. One is we can not bother to discover them, or we can intentionally ignore them because there's some kind of risk involved. Or we could choose to use our gifts, our talents, and our spiritual gifts for our own edification, for our own glory. And you see people do that. Or what we want to do is use them for God's kingdom, use them for God's glory. And so take that honest assessment of your talents and abilities and gifts. The fourth idea is you're trying to discern your specific one-of-a-kind call is look at how you have been prepared by God through experiences. Life is not random. Life is not dictated to us by chance. God is completely sovereign. And so the good and the bad and the ugly, he is either allowed or sent in our lives. And so these experiences have value. If you look at our text again, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Part of how he prepared us are the experiences that we have, the good experiences and the bad experiences. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 encourages us in this way. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One author said this, and I appreciate it. He said, every experience becomes a gift. Everything speaks. Even the most painful moments of your life speak. What can you learn? How can God use that? And usually what you'll find is the most difficult, painful moments in your life. Out of that, God will birth your most powerful ministry. Maybe you had an addiction. Maybe you were up to your neck in alcohol, drugs, porn, whatever it might be. And God walks you out of that. One of the most powerful ministries you could ever have is to turn around and help somebody else walk out of that. Maybe you lost a child. And as you, I don't know if you ever totally get over that. I've not lost a child. But as you move through grief, as you begin to heal, as you move forward in your life with that hole, 
but you find that God comforts and encourages, you are the ideal person to turn when someone else experiences that level of trauma, that tragedy. And so God prepares us through experiences, and so we need to watch for those. We need to cultivate those. We need to redeem those experiences and see how God is preparing us to do good works. You know, when we became Christians, you know, I became a Christian as a little boy, God could have just gone, okay, done with that one, you just, and take me to heaven. But he left me here to do stuff, to do good stuff that's been planned in advance for me to do. And he did the same thing with you. He could have taken you, like, oh, another one for heaven. But you're here to reach the lost, to disciple the saved, to help the hurting, to comfort the crying. And so he leaves us here to do good works. Now, I want to give you a picture. It's this goofy little picture. It's hand-drawn. I pulled it from a book called Essentialism by Greg McCohen. And I love this picture because I can pull it out and draw it on a napkin in a restaurant. If I'm talking to somebody about this or if I just need this, I pull it out occasionally just for myself. Here's the deal. We only have so much energy, effort, time, all of that, whatever word you want to use for what we have that we can do effort. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this picture, one picture is the circle and our energy is going in every direction. That's how I feel sometimes. Anybody feel that way? Just going in all kinds of directions. And then there's another picture where it's just a circle with the word energy in it and it's just going one direction. There's this alignment, this profound alignment. And I will acknowledge that's pretty simplistic. I would settle for, you know, a couple arrows all headed in the same direction, right? For the glory of God. But it's this, this picture, because I will do this. I'll draw this and I'll go, man, I am headed all kinds of different directions. Am I operating out of my sweet spot? Am I answering God's unique call on my life? There's so many things we can do but there's a much shorter list on what we should do. And we can miss the call of God on our lives. There's some different examples in Scripture. I mean, I think about um, Abraham's father. And I don't know, I might be reading too much into this, but other uh, theologians have thought this as well. Abraham's father was in Ur, and it says he heads out, hundreds of miles, but he stops before he gets to Canaan. He doesn't go to Canaan. He stops in a place, Haran. And he just stops. Now, we don't know all the details, but maybe he was supposed to be the father of many nations. Maybe he was supposed to be, you know, instead of us singing Father Abraham, we'd be doing the, the goofy song to, you know, his name, right? But he stopped. He got to a place, and, oh, this looks pretty good. I'm not going to go all the way to where God wants me to go. Or I think about Eli, the priest in the Old Testament, who, because he wasn't a, a good father, didn't discipline his sons, that call on his family to be the priest that was yanked from them. I think of Saul, the first king of Israel. God picked him, 
Now, it was at their request. We want a king, and God's like, okay, and he picks Saul. Saul starts with incredible potential, but because of his disobedience, because he wouldn't listen to the Lord, the kingdom's taken from him. And so we can miss our call. Why it's so important that we be prayerful, that we look at our abilities, that we embrace our passion, that we look at our experiences, because we can miss it. Andy Stanley once said, everybody ends up somewhere in life, a few people end up somewhere on purpose. At the end of your life, you want to end up somewhere on purpose. Imagine if you're sitting around a table and you're 100 years old, God gives you that many years. What do you want him to say about you? It's your birthday. They're celebrating your 100th birthday. Of course, you've outlived most of your friends, so that's kind of a bummer. But your kids and your grandkids are there, right? What do you want them to say about you? When they give those summary statements about your life, he loved the Lord, she loved the Lord, she was compassionate, she sowed into people, she served her community. You want to hear those kinds of things. And so we have to live in a way now with a focus so that we can live out God's call. But it's unique. I mean, my wife and I were called to plant a church, you know, this church, years ago. That's a unique call. We have people in this church that were called to start a food pantry. That's a unique call. Harmony stepped up and, and did that, along with others. And so you see, what is your unique call? What is it? What does it look like? We do not want to be people who live by default. We want to live by design. Professor Howard Hendricks once said this. He said, my greatest fear for you is not failure with your life work, but success at the wrong thing. We can do that. Sometimes it's parents' expectations. Sometimes it, it, whatever it is, cultural pressure. I like a question I was reading this week. You know, most of us have heard the question, what would Jesus do? You know, we look at a situation, what would Jesus do? I like this question as we think about calling. How would Jesus live if he were you? If he had your opportunities, your gifts, your passion, how would Jesus live if he were you? And someday we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to look at our lives. There's, you know, the, the great white throne judgment separates the lost and the saved. That's by grace. But at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to sit down. And he's going to look at our lives. And he's going to show us what he, his dream for our lives was. And we're going to look at how we walk that out. And so my hope is that will be a positive experience, an amazing experience, that each of us will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That we live out Matthew 6, that says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's in a section that, that all these other things that we can worry about, be frustrated over, but we seek his kingdom first. There is great power in focus. My hope is that you will 
really try to spend as much of your time as possible in your sweet spot, whatever that is. Now, I know how life is. I had to laugh Friday. had an appointment. had to go sit for two hours at uh, Glass Doctor in North Pole. We got a new windshield for the car that my wife drives most of the time. I kid you not. So I, you know, I didn't waste it. I sat there and studied. I had a book. And so I just spent two hours. I'm literally driving home, and a car passes me, and a rock pops up, and it's already cracked. So I have to go back. I'm not going to be living out of my sweet spot for that couple hours, you know, or whatever. And that's just life. Life is stupid. We know that, right? But as much as possible, as much as possible, live in your sweet spot. Live in a way that answers your one-of-a-kind, unique calling on your life. So the big idea... I always like to give you some kind of big idea. It's not a statement today. It's a question. I just want you to wrestle with it and think about it. It comes from author Greg McCohen, his book Essentialism I Love, and it says this, if you could do only one thing with your life right now, what would you do? If you could do only one thing with your life right now, what would you do? Wrestle with that. Do your best to answer God's one and only, unique, one-of-a-kind call on your life. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your imprint on us, that we're not all the same, that we are uniquely wired, that we are different, that we have different things that make us feel alive. But Lord, I pray that we'll live in a way that honors you, points people to Jesus, that we make disciples of all nations. But Lord, maybe you're calling us to be public school teachers or a politician or a stay-at-home mom. Lord, I don't know what it looks like for everybody in this room, but you do. And I pray that in their times of prayer, you will reveal that to them, a picture, a vision of your dream for their lives. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.